I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that Nawan is here. Huh? That was beautiful. Thank you. Well, this winter, we're thinking about what it means to grow in the wilderness. In the wilderness, the question is not, will you get through? The real question is, what will you be like once you do? Right? The question is, are you going to uh, age in bitterness or are you going to grow in grace? I think this is a question that Moses himself raises for the people of Israel in the way that he tells a story that we're going to read. The way that he tells the story of the, whole, of the wilderness and he, and he kind of ends that story with uh, a little incident that has a tragic tone to it and a cautionary note. But I think that's there, Moses put it there because he wants us to know that after 40 years in the wilderness, it hasn't just taken a toll on his heart, but it has opened his heart to a, a, a streaming torrent of, of grace. Grace in which we can grow even in the middle of the wilderness, right? So let's look at that story together. I would invite you to open up your Bible to Numbers chapter 20. Now you may not have brought a Bible, but you can look on your phone and we'll put it on the screen, one through 13. I'd like to read it for us, just allow you to sit back and relax. But you might like to follow in your own text because uh, we'll be discussing this story. But when, when we're done reading, when I'm done reading the story, I'll, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. All right, listen carefully, we're hearing God's holy word. The Israelites, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month and the people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord. Why have you brought this assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? There's no place for grain or figs or vineyards or pomegranates and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them Thus you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, listen you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly 
and the congregation and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and by which he showed his holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just heard uh, never will. So reaction? I mean, my concern when I hear this story is, oh my gosh, what did God do to Moses in that moment? But I think Moses' concern is, oh my gosh, what did the wilderness do to me? Because the story, as Moses tells it, and I'm going to show you this, is less about the stick and hitting the rock, and it's more about the heart and the hardness of the heart. And the way you can begin to see this is begin to understand that there are two rock stories and water stories in the the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, of which Moses is the primary author. He's made sure that there are two rock stories, that they're very similar, and both uh, the, the, the Israelites are quarreling about water, and, and both there's rock that God provides from the water. In the, in the first one, uh, things go well. God says, Strike the rock with your staff, he does, and the water comes out. In the second one, things do not go well. They go poorly. Uh, and now, and that's the one that we just read in Numbers 20. So the question is, what's the difference between those two scenes, one at the beginning of the wilderness and the other at the end? And the answer is the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness. That's what makes the difference. In the second scene, God does not tell Moses to strike the rock. He tells him to speak to the rock. And one of the great medieval rabbis named Rashi uh, speculates that the reason the Lord did that is because he wanted Israel to see that if even an inanimate object would respond to the word of God, so should they. And so Moses comes to the rock and he does not strike, uh, he, and he does not speak to the rock as he's instructed to do. No, what does he do? He wheels around and he curses God's people. Listen to what he says in verse 10 again. Listen, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? You, this rock? He rails against God's people. He accuses them, he condemns them, he burns with judgment inside of them and he tries with his words to put them to shame. <laughs> and then he turns back to the rock and he strikes it with this rod, bam! Oh, Moses, this is the rod of Aaron that had bloomed and borne almonds miraculously, but he swings it against the rock. He hammers the rock, bam, twice, bam! And you go, dear Moses, great Moses. Oh, humble Moses, faithful Moses, gracious Moses. The Moses who time and time again fell on his face in the same tent of meeting and interceding on behalf of God's people, pleading in the midst of their waywardness for God's mercy and compassion. Moses, what's happened? Why the bitterness? How has your heart hardened? 
See, and, that, and that's the question. And the answer is 40 years in the wilderness. It's taken a toll on Moses. It's shaped him. It has formed his heart. Now, I invite you to read the story. If you haven't read the story, um, I suppose eventually in Immerse, we'll all read the story together. But it's, it's a rich story. And it, it's a story for our moment right now. It's just kind of the, the sociology of adversity and the psychology of strain all the way through. The challenge of leading a people and our unwillingness to be led through the wilderness when things are hard. It, 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 had, it was a particular challenge for Moses, if you read the story. I mean, the people, when they, when they complain or murmur or quarrel here in Kadesh, it's hardly the first time. In fact, this is the accumulation of time after time after time after time, all the way through Israel has been bickering and scheming and complaining and wanting to go back. And they've conspired against the leadership, Moses and Aaron and Miriam. They've uh, taken up arms against them. There's been open rebellion. And it's taken a toll on Moses. And then, did you notice in verse one, there's one little detail here that just kind of, Moses just slips in and it's so easy to gloss over, but we shouldn't. Verse one at the end, Miriam died there and was buried there. Oh, so there's been all the stress of leading this people, a tough assignment, and then your sister, Miriam, has died. That's Moses' sister. Uh, Miriam has been buried. Now, what we know about Moses and Miriam is that they were very, very close. Do you remember Miriam? She saved Moses' life when he was a baby, put his body in a little basket uh, among the reeds of the Nile River, saved his life. She was a fellow leader. She had great uh, respect in the eyes of Israel. She stood with, with Moses as they led the people through the Red Sea. She was there and she gathered everybody together to celebrate and to worship God in the midst of that. This great song was sung. Uh, in, in Israel at that time. She, she led, as a choir director basically, led Israel to sing. And she was just a friend, just a dear friend. When she gets sick, a couple chapters early, Moses just pleads for her life, begs the Lord for her life. And now he tells us she's died and she's buried and something inside of Moses just goes oing. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's grieving. It's like pain upon pain, grief upon grief, he's exhausted, he's overwhelmed, life just suddenly can't be bright, it's dark and cloudy, and he doesn't react well, right? This bitterness, the Bible speaks of a, a, a root of bitterness, and somewhere along the way, there has been a seed planted inside his soul that got nurtured bit by bit, and eventually it breaks out in a way that's very uncharacteristic of this great man. And so I just, I'm just showing, we're looking at these two scenes together because when we do, we notice, hey, the people are the same, God is the same, the rock is not exactly the same, but it's a similar rock. Uh, the miracle is the same, but Moses' heart, something's changed in there. And it's the wilderness. It's how, it's how he's reacted to the wilderness that's done it to him. The Jewish name for the book of Numbers in the Bible is In the Wilderness. That's the title they give it, In the Wilderness. And it comes from Numbers chapter one, verse one, the very beginning, where we read, the Lord spoke to Moses 
in the wilderness. And the whole book is about growth in the wilderness, growth for Israel and growth for us as we follow their example. So let's just take a moment and pause and ask ourselves, well, what is the wilderness? We, especially in the Pacific Northwest, we have to ask this question. What was the wilderness for them? Because for us, wilderness is like a place of recreation. Like, I'm going into the wilderness. Awesome, right? Not for an Israelite. For them, wilderness doesn't mean recreation. It means desolation. This is a place that does not support life. That's what the wilderness was for them. So we have to imagine that. To think of the wilderness, biblically, the wilderness is the place in between. It's not where we once were. It's not where someday we will be. It's the place in between. Uh, biblically, the wilderness is a place of, of transition. It's not where you want to settle. You, you want to go through. You don't want to go back. You want to go through. You don't settle in the wilderness. It's also a place of transformation. It's not so much about being in place A or B, it's more about becoming. It's more about who we are, a character. The goal isn't to get Israel physically from Egypt to the plains of Moab, a journey that probably would have taken them less than 40 days. No, the goal is to become the children of God, to, to exercise the spirit of slavery and claim the spirit of sonship and daughtership as God's uh, people. That's why it took 40 years the process of transformation. And, and you, know, you know the wilderness, don't you, if you think about it. I mean, the wilderness, it's moving from high school to college and then not knowing anybody, you know, and having to start all over again. It's moving to another city, a city that says, hey, we're always nice here, but it's a kind of a Seattle nice where they don't actually invite you into their homes. They're just friendly on the street, right? And you don't know how to make your living in this. It's, it's a whole new job, for, for perhaps, um, with a, a learning curve that's so steep, it's not a matter of days, months, and maybe it's even years before you figure out what it means to occupy that space. Oh, maybe it's losing your job, having no job at all. It's when your parents split up on you and leave you shuttled between somewhere lost in the crack. It's when your own relationship falls apart. And now, for the first time and as long as you want to remember, you're single again. This is the wilderness. It's getting the diagnosis. It's, it's saying no to your addiction, but not yet knowing how to live a, a healthy life. This is the wilderness. And I think right now we're all having a collective experience of wilderness. Like, would you agree with me with this pandemic? I mean, is this the fourth wave? I forget, right? Or just think about the news and all this week about uh, democracy being under attack. Or think about the strains we're feeling as we wake up to the fact that, hey, we've racialized our society in ways that are so tragic and not what God wants for us. Or, I don't know, there's just a sense that we are together now in this wilderness environment and it, we don't welcome it. It's not an easy place to be. The question I'm asking myself in this time is what's happening to my heart? Because I don't know about you, but I am noticing a change these last two years in my heart. I just notice, <laughs> if you notice it in me, you don't have to nod right now, but I, I just notice a reactivity. I notice all my emotions are near the surface 
like good emotions and bad emotions. I'm crying more than I ever used to cry. I'm like, what's going on? You know, I find myself getting angry at small things that wouldn't normally have bothered me at all. I find myself more critical more judgmental of others and of myself. I mean, ask my wife, we watch the news and I'm like, that's biased. You know, <laughs> I go on and on about it, you know, and, it's, and she's just going, can we talk about today, you know? Um, so I'm like, what's going on in my heart? And I just, I don't know if it's the isolation, I don't know if it's the grief, uh, uh, the loss that we've experienced, the, the sort of shutting ourselves off from one another, the loss of various rhythms, the loss of some people that are really important to us. But it seems bit by bit, something does seem to be happening to my heart. And that's what catches my attention in the teaching Moses offered Israel in this scene. I think there's something for me here What about you? I mean, what do you notice in yourself? Do you see any effects? Do you see anything that's different when you look into your interior? I tell you, one of the things I love about the role that I currently have as a pastor is I get to visit with people who are near the end of their life. And here's what I've noticed, uh, just a takeaway, and I know it's anecdotal, but I, I, I see a choice or a fork in the road that's not really noticeable when you're on the road, but when you get to the end of the road, you sort of see, hey, these roads led two different places. And, and it's this, that you can either age in bitterness or you can grow in grace. And, and, I, see, and I see that we, do, we, we, we end up at different places. I mean, let me just say, Aging is hard. If you haven't tried it yet, you know, you'll, if you're lucky, you will. And it's hard. I mean, I'm at the age, I can see that already. Like I bend over to tie my shoes and I go, is there anything else I need while I'm down here, right? I was like, <laughs> feel that. And when you age, you just, just kind of accumulation of loss, right? You've just, you've lost so much. You've lost your strength, your career, parts of your identity peel off. And people, you just, you're losing things along the way. And it's so easy to become sort of self absorbed and just managing your medications or you know or whatever you're it's it's easy to focus on yourself and and to compensate for that we very often try to control things that we can't control and so you see people who kind of this the seed of bitterness drops a taproot into their souls and what comes up is not really what they want to come up but there's a, a bitterness about them on the other hand, and I see a ton of people at UPC, I think you guys should come visiting with me when I see some of our UPCers. Go out with your deacons sometime and visit those folks who are near the end of their life. And there's just such a joy there. You just permeate it with this aroma of grace in their lives. And this, not because they didn't face the same challenges, they faced all the same hardships, but somehow they had a way of processing it that left them in a different place. And you see this kind of hospitality and focus on others and uh, peace or they've kind of relaxed into life in a way and there's a smile, there's a joy. And, I, and what I says, I want that. And my fear is, I know enough about myself now to go that the worst of me by sometimes, someday take the best of me, overcome the best of me. And I, I don't know, by the way, have you ever noticed that sometimes people who are older, they, they, they can't whisper as quietly as they think they can whisper? 
Have you ever seen that? We took a little choir of kids to a nursing home one time, older people, and we were singing to them. And we could hear the people, even in the back row, going, that little one can't sing at all. You know, it's like, we hear you. <laughs> Nothing wrong with our hearing here. And so I just, that's a little warning. But I, I'm, I'm wondering, my fear is what happens when my internal thought processes are audible to everybody else around me. There's a little drool coming out of my mouth and they're going, oh, so this is Pastor George. <laughs> Well, here's what, here's, here's what I want you to get, and you can write this down. What Moses is learning is that what happens after the wilderness depends on the decisions you make in the wilderness. Okay, the fork is early and, and repeated. The decision, the, the, let me say it again, what happens after the wilderness will depend on the decisions that you make in the wilderness. So let me quote from a book by Jeff Mannion, and this might be a good companion read to our series this winter if you're looking for something to read. It's called The The Land Between. And Jeff Mannion writes this, as we pass through the land between, it is critical to recognize that not simply the hardship, but also our reaction to the hardship is forming us. With each discomfort we experience, our responses both reveal the person that we are and set the trajectory for the person we are becoming. Whether we age with grace and poise or become bitter, resentful people is largely determined by our response to disappointment and the habits of response that often result. That's interesting. See, what he's saying is, look, the wilderness will form you one way or another. It will form you. And, and, and what, what matters isn't just the hardship, it's your response to the hardship. In other words, you, you, you're an agent. You, 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 get, you get to make a decision here. You get to make a choice here. The thing is, I don't oftentimes realize I'm making a choice, certainly not one that has that kind of consequence to it, right? But you are an agent in the wilderness. And, and so, by the way, this little scene in Numbers 20 gets um, chewed on a ton through both the Old Testament and the New Testament. People keep coming back. We're all intrigued with what happened at that rock. And so there's lots in the Bible that interprets it. And I won't go through all that now, but just a couple of things. Like, for example, in Hebrews 3.15, we read, today, about this incident, today, if you hear his voice, that's God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in this moment. Now that's, Hebrews 3.15, quoting Psalm 95, reflecting on Numbers 20. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So two things you could see here. One is a condition, and the second is a choice. Here's the condition. It's called hardness of heart. And the Bible refers to it a lot, okay? It's like a spiritual, uh, gosh, I couldn't pronounce it to the first service either. Arthrosclerosis. Mm. Well, you know what I'm trying to say, hardening of the arteries, right? It's a spiritual hardening of the heart. And just to give you some examples of how this works out in the Bible, the Pharaoh's heart was hardened, Exodus 8, 15. He did horrible acts of injustice. Isaiah says that God's people's own hearts have been hardened, Isaiah 6, 10. Jesus says that the hardness of heart impairs our thoughts. We can't even think quite clearly with a hardness of heart. Matthew 4, verse 15, and Mark 3, verse 5. Paul says that hardness of heart distances us from God. Romans 2, verse 5, and Ephesians 4, 18. Happens over time, happens uh, gradually, happens uh, with our participation, but sometimes we don't know it, but it happens in the wilderness. So that's a condition, 
But there is this choice. Notice today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, there's something you can do or not do. Do not harden your hearts. The implication is, in the wider context of that text, is that there's a choice, there's a decision. And, and you can always make this decision in the wilderness. So let me put it on the screen. The, the choice is to refresh your heart in the grace of Jesus. You can always make that choice. Refresh your heart in the grace of Jesus. I don't know if you see the grace in the text. Sometimes we get so preoccupied, what happened to Moses and is this fair? We forget to pay attention to what Moses himself is saying and what he wants us to notice is the grace in the text. And where is the grace in the text? It's in the water. It's in the water. Let, let me, you really don't notice it unless you pay attention to the two incidents and look at them side by side. In Exodus 17, Moses obeys God and if you read that text carefully, we have to, as the readers, assume that the water comes. The text never actually says the water came. I'm sure it did, but it doesn't have to say it because Moses is obedient. But here in Numbers 20, Moses is disobedient and what happens? No water, right? No, wrong. Surprise, grace, water. Water comes gushing out. It's just a bird, like a, a subterranean aquifer just blows through the, the rock of a cliff face and all of a sudden, the, the Hebrew's emphatic here, water multiplies. The waters multiply, it says literally. It's just this flood of fresh water just opens up and pours out into the barren wilderness and the desert and there it is. That's grace. <laughs> and by the way, Paul, when he reflects on this incident later, he'll say the rock was Christ. He says, I know where that water, it's, all, it's, it's Jesus. The rock was Christ. So he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Oh my gosh, this is Jesus right there with Moses, Paul's saying. When Moses turned around and hammered on the rock, he's like us hammering on the nails of the cross. When they drink life like water, it's like us drinking life from the empty tomb. This is Jesus. Paul learns this from Jesus when he stands up at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem at the last day of the feast when the priest is pouring water on the altar, the sacred altar. Jesus suddenly jumps to his feet and he says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, come to me and I will give you living water. From the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. This is John chapter seven. And John tells us Paul, uh, Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit here. The tabernacles is a wilderness feast. Jesus is now interpreting the whole 40 years and he's going, it's all about getting water from me. And by the way, do you notice, Paul says this is the spiritual rock that followed them. Well, there's this tradition, scholars think, in, in the Jewish tradition, that that rock followed Israel through, through the wilderness because the rock was at the beginning of the wilderness and the rock was at the end of the wilderness. They were different rocks, but it, metaphorically speaking, it's as though that rock moved with Israel wherever they went. There was always the availability of spiritual water from a spiritual rock who was Jesus. And this is what I think Earl said so brilliantly last Sunday was, you know, in the valley of the shadow of death, he's with us all the time always making this refreshment of grace available to us. So finally, let me ask the question, well, how, would, how do you do this? How, how, how do you drink this spiritual water from this mobile rock? 
which is Jesus. How do we not harden our hearts in the wilderness? What does the decision that we can always make to refresh our hearts in the grace of Jesus, what does that look like? Well, I'm not gonna try to answer all that right now. We have a whole series, and so we'll be taking a little bit of that each week, but what I want you to see now is just this one practice, this one ancient practice. We lift up our hearts to the Lord. We lift up our hearts to the Lord. I'm gonna teach you to do that this week. And here's what happened. Last week I had this insight. It's probably too strong a word to call it a vision, but I had an insight. Have you ever flown out of SeaTac Airport on a dark, uh, cloudy, rainy day? Yes. I mean, if you've ever flown out of SeaTac Airport, you've flown out on a dark, cloudy, rainy day, right? Well, what happens 20 seconds into the flight? You get out over Puget Sound and you get through the clouds and all of a sudden, boom, you're in Southern California, right? I say to myself, is it always like this up here? Is it always, yes, it is. It's always, like, it's always like that. We always get Southern, Southern California is above us. No matter what happens, it's not fair. But anyways, there's that like transformational moment. So I have this insight last week. I'm feeling very much under the clouds. I'm gloomy, uh, feeling a little overwhelmed and discouraged, just kind of exhausted. And that's been normal for me many, many days during the pandemic. But in the midst of that, it's like I heard Jesus say to me, George, lift up your heart to me. And so I had this, um, vision of me taking my big thumping heart into my own hands and like literally lifting them up through the clouds into heaven into the brilliant sunlight of God's grace. And I went, that reframed everything for me. Everything in that moment. And that was the Holy Spirit. That, that was what Jesus had promised to do for us. And so, so what I, I want to encourage you to do that this week. It's called Sursum Corda, S-U-R-S-U-M, Sursum, lifting, uh, Corda, hearts. It's, it's, these are the people of the upward hearts, or people who have the practice of regularly lifting up their hearts into the grace of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to, to do that. In fact, if you want to get ready for that, just you know, lift up your hands right now. Just kind of remind yourself of like, this is what it would look like. Yeah, I'm gonna take my hands. I'm gonna take my heart. You, you, do, you just imagine your heart in your hands and you lift them up like that into the presence of the Lord and, and, just, and just imagine Jesus. So take a moment. So I'm gonna ask you to do it at the beginning of the day, your first thought, at the end of the day, your last thought before your head hits the pillow. And any time during the day when you feel gloomy, okay? You just pause, take a moment for prayer, picture your heart in your hands and then you lift them up into the grace of Jesus Christ. Can we do that, all of us, for seven days? I mean, I think Seattle might even notice a difference. Someone will. Now, I think that's what Moses learned that day. I do. I think he heard from the Lord in his own way. Moses, when your dear sister is gone. Moses, when the ground beneath your feet is parched. Moses, when the people you lead are crying out with nothing but a death cry. Would you lift up your heart to me? Would you lift your heart above your circumstances, above the trauma and the pain of it all, up out of the wilderness into the heavenly places where my victory over sin, over all evil is right now secure? Moses, dear Moses, will you lift up your heart above the darkness into my light? Lift it up and I will give you living water. From your innermost being will flow rivers of living water for you and through you for those around you. Moses drank that day. He drank and he drank and he drank. And then he wrote the story for you and me. So here's what I'm taking away. 
no matter what we face, there'll be growth when we fill ourselves with God's grace. No matter what we face, there'll be growth when we fill ourselves with God's grace. One last story. Several years ago, I was teaching on the transfiguration, which is that time when Jesus was on a hill in Galilee and he started to glow with really clean clothes and for a few of the disciples. And I just finished this lecture and I looked out and there was one man uh, with a white beard, big guy, all the way at the end of the front row and he was sobbing. I knew it wasn't great, but I didn't thought it was that bad. But I, he was sobbing. And so I, I went over to him and I kneeled down next to him and I said, is everything okay? And he had crutches leaning against the chair and he, one of his legs was larger than the other. It was kind of wrapped up. And he looked at me and he, he said, yes. Said, yeah. And I said, well, what's going on? He said, and he couldn't stop crying. He said, I, I realize he made it through. And I said, what, what do you mean, who, who made it through? And he said, Moses, he made it through. I said, he said, the transfiguration. He says, there's Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And they, and they were in the promised land. See, what he got is that God's grace got Moses into the promised land, even though Moses did this thing even though Moses disobeyed, he still ended up in the promised land, got him through. And I realized with those tears, it wasn't just that he now solved some theological nut he'd been working on for who knows how long, but what it meant to him was that this Jesus and his grace, they're gonna get me through too as well, no matter what I face. And you know what? The same is true for me and the same is true for you today. You have a savior, Jesus Christ, and a great king, and a good shepherd who is going to get you and us through. Let's pray. Jesus, you promised us that you know our names as the good shepherd. You promised us that we can hear your voice, and we just know that we can trust you because you're the kind of shepherd that would lay down your life. You have laid down your life for us, your sheep, and we haven't deserved that, but you've given it to us anyways, and that is the essence of grace. And so today, Lord, if we hear your voice, grant us by your Holy Spirit the ability not to harden our hearts, but to soften them in your refreshment. Where else can we go? You alone offer living water in the words of life. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.